enjoyed the music this morning. Gets us to worship the Lord. What a blessing it is to hear these beautiful songs. And truly that should be our desires that the Lord would be glorified in our lives. I was reading this morning in uh, John's uh, gospel in John 17 and uh, where he's giving the high priestly prayer, which is really the prayer of Jesus. I mean, there's the model prayer in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, our Father prayer, but then his prayer that is recorded in uh, Matthew, excuse me, John 17, 
He talks about Lord or talking to the Father. He says, Father, may you be glorified in my life. And then he says something very interesting. He says, and that I might receive the glory which I had from the beginning. In other words, when Jesus from eternity, you know, that's a quite a verse to, to maybe shut some mouths of our cults that do not believe in the eternal existence of God. Before he came to this world, he had the glory of the Lord in his because he was God. He is God. And yet uh, so many people miss that. And it is our mission to glorify the Lord. So I appreciate the song. And, and someday we're going to get to go to heaven. I was going to ask Drew before he left this morning, is he excited about going to heaven? And he played that trumpet this morning like he meant it. And I tell you, his, his lips became paralyzed. I said, that means you put yourself into it. And praise the Lord for that. But Ernie, your song this morning, I tell you, in the first service, uh, as, as Ernie was singing, home, sweet home. I, uh, I had this kind of uh, out-of-body experience, honey. I mean, not really out-of-body. I was still there, and I, was, I think I was still there. But I was, I was uh, fantasizing. That might be the right word to say. In that I was thinking that when I'm laying there on my deathbed, and you're looking at me. And I know you don't like to hear these kinds of things. But the ability to say to you, I finally get to go home. You all know what I'm talking about? I finished what God has for me. We want to finish well the life that God has given to us. It's but a short time compared to eternity. And we're going to spend eternity somewhere. Now, I know without a shadow of a doubt I'm going to heaven. I hope you know that. If you know that's the greatest knowledge that you can have is that you're going to heaven. Man, I got to talk to somebody the other day and got to share with them. And they are so caught up with what's going on in this world. I said, what about preparing for a home in eternity? And it just seems like, Larry, he, he couldn't quite bring that down to, you know, it was just so, so many people are so caught up with right now. And that's what I want to preach to you this morning about. Uh, November starts Stewardship Month. And we're going to kind of divert a little bit forward into the Sermon on the Mount. Now, remember that Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount in the beginning of his second year in ministry. And as I said before, his, uh, his uh, message, if you were to read it, would take 15 minutes. So we're going to advance seven minutes into his sermon. Is that all right? We're going to go to chapter 6 of Matthew. But I want you to know that we, as we just finished last week, the Beatitudes, that God has given me a greater appreciation for those words of the Beatitudes. We have a bookmark. If you didn't get one last week, we have them back on the Welcome Center. We encourage you to pick up one and put it with your prayer journal or with something that can remind you of. Because those Beatitudes starts the Sermon on the Mount. And as, as he, he leaves the Sermon on the, on, the, excuse me, on the Beatitudes, he goes in to many other aspects. How to worship, how to give, how to do these various things and living. I mean, he covers so many aspects of life in 15 minutes. We'll be able to get back to that. But, you know, if we don't get the attitude right, it's going to be hard to put these other things in perspective. You've got to be born again. And then to understand what life's all about. And he, he really is dealing with a crowd, not necessarily his disciples, but people that were going to be following him. And they've been immersed into a culture that was more about uh, their prosperity and their power and their privileges. And seeing that, and even in the religious leaders was that way. 
who's going to get one up on the other person. And he, he brings a completely different philosophy of life. It is his philosophy. And so when it comes now to the sermon here about giving and stewardship. Now, I know right now some people are saying, man, oh, well, we've got to go through this again. I know every year, November, we go through a couple messages. Last year, man, the preacher, I didn't think he was ever going to finish it. You know what? We got the wrong attitude. Well, the preacher's just going to try to get fat and get more money for himself. That's a stinking rotten attitude. You know, oftentimes we make excuses to excuse and our irresponsibility and our disobedience to the Lord. I don't know about you. I don't want to be disobedient to the Lord. And reality is there are some tremendous blessings when we get the philosophy right. Amen to that. By the way, the preacher's not getting fat. Did you notice? I got to wear a new coat this morning, uh, uh, Norm, that I have never worn before. I bought it because it was on sale. You know, I'm, I'm kind of person. I'll buy stuff when it's on sale and everything, but even if it doesn't fit. And uh, uh, it finally fits. I praise the Lord for that, you know. I want to be a good steward of my health. I want to be a good steward of my finances. I want to be a good steward of my time. And let me just say this. This Sermon on the Mount and what I'm preaching this morning is not about the church. Okay? So let's just stop there. It's not that the church is asking for more money. That's not it. What we're going to talk about this morning is a concept of life. And it's fascinating as we see it. And we want God to open our understanding. So let's pray. Father, I pray that you will give us understanding this morning. Help us to gain ownership. Help us to get these concepts. Help us to appreciate the riches of your words. And help us, Father, not to, to, to have a faulty view of, of, of what you have given to us and how we can use what you've given to us and the great privilege of being a steward of yours. For everything we have belongs to you. And so, Lord, as we get into this, Lord, I pray that you help us to sense where there might be too much self and not enough of the Savior, not enough of others. And, Father, help us to get to the heart of the issue of our lives. And we'll praise you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. You're going to notice in this passage, in Matthew chapter 6, if you've taken your Bibles and you turn there, verse 19, there are going to be two treasures... There's going to be two visions, and there are going to be two masters. Now, understand there's not three. The choice is simple, one or the other. Now, in America, we have too many choices. Wouldn't you go, agree? I mean, I go in the store, and I look, and I think, my, there's all these different kinds of shampoos, as if I really need shampoo. And, and which one is really going to do anything for this, you know? And so uh, we, 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 we struggle with choices, but God makes it simple. Two choices, serving God or serving self. That's bottom line. He says there's two treasures, there's two visions, there's two masters. There's no middle ground. The Bible says you'll either love me or you'll hate me. He says you cannot serve God and mammon. I mean, that's so simple. And so we got to get it. We got to understand where are we in these equations. And so as we get in this area of, uh, of our treasures and all, uh, it really comes to the heart of the issue. As I begin reading in verse 19, he says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where your moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust nor corrupt, Thieves do not break through or steal. For where your treasure is, 
There will your heart be also. True statement? I mean, this is a concept. This is a philosophy. This is a principle. This is a truth. Whether we understand or not, whether we recognize or not, the Lord Jesus Christ on the Sermon on the Mount is saying it without mincing His words. I have to ask myself, where is my heart? Verse 22, the light, going now to the vision. The light of the body if it is the eye, and therefore if thine eye be single, the whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil... Thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? They don't get it. Now verse 24, two masters. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and Mammon. When he uses that word serve, he's talking about being a bond slave. And we'll get to that as we look at two masters. Now, this passage here and others, as we look in these two treasures, is familiar to us. I mean, I've preached on this over and over again uh, and, and all. But, you know, sometimes we just don't get it. But hopefully, as we are a work in progress, we're getting more and more. And so this morning, it is my prayer that we'll get more and more of this. I want to take you to uh, the title this morning. I've entitled it Moths, Mice, and Mud Diggers. Moths, Mice, and Mud Diggers. You say, where does that fit in this message? All right, we'll get to it. I'm glad you asked. We'll get to that. Let's talk about these two treasures. In 1 Timothy, you don't need to turn there. We'll talk about these words up here that are on the screen, and you can follow along as I read. It's an interesting passage. And again, I've preached on this and everything. And every time we go into these passages, you know, there are so many words in the Bible. Do you know how many words there are in the Bible? A lot. You continue as, as you pray, God, what do you want me to say? How do you want me to say it? He'll bring certain words out of passages and all of a sudden you'll look them up. What does that word mean? I've read this passage probably 50 to 100 times. And finally, I look up some of these words, some of these tenses. And we've been getting into tenses on Wednesday night. And I want to encourage you. God makes no mistakes. Tenses. Here he's in the end of his ministry. Uh, and Paul is writing pastoral epistles to First Timothy and, uh, and to Timothy and to Titus. And it's interesting, as he finishes 1 Timothy, this is his beloved son in the Lord, he's giving him pastoral instructions. And he says to Timothy, charge them. And it's in the imperative. Which means, Timothy, I am telling you, you better do this as their preacher. And it's in the present tense. The present tense is the tense of practice. Now, we usually have stewardship once a month. Um, excuse me, once a month. Once a year. Paul is telling Timothy, listen, keep before people, your congregants, in an important philosophy of life. He says, command them, charge them, that they that are rich in this world... That they be not high-minded. And the word high-minded is actually a verb. 
And it is in the present tense, which means don't be going and living your life cocky or proud or arrogant just because you have something and somebody else doesn't. You know, it's kind of the way the world is, isn't it? They want to strut their stuff. And so don't be high-minded, uh, nor trust or don't put your hope in uncertain riches. But in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Amen to that? So he's not talking about here the idea that riches is wrong. I believe, as I shared with some folks at the end of our service, uh, the first service, I believe that God will give you wisdom how to deal with your stuff. All right. And how you can enjoy your stuff and you can have all kinds of stuff and you can still enjoy your stuff. Amen to that. So enjoying stuff is not wrong. And in fact, this word enjoy is an interesting word. It's only used two places in the Bible. And it comes from the Greek word, which we get our word. Applause. Isn't that something? And so he's saying here, he says that God gives you not only the stuff, that he, but he will give you the enjoyment. And you know, when we have uh, music or something like that, and boy, there's an enjoyment there. It's, it's okay to applause. Now, I like a hearty amen. I really do. And it's all right to say amen at Westside Baptist Church. Amen. Boy, that's good. Yeah, not quite hitting the Richter scale, but it will. You know, it's all right to get excited. It's all right to enjoy. Oh, in fact, the Bible says to be thankful. That's a part of the will of God in First Thessalonians chapter 5 is to enjoy. And this morning as we got up and my wife and I has just been so I mean, there are so many treasures, so many blessings, so many good things. And, and don't I don't want you to go away from this service thinking, man, we can't enjoy our stuff. No, that's not it. Because if you understand that the stuff is God's gift to you and you get to enjoy it. Praise the Lord. You see, there's a mindset there. Who giveth us richly all things. However, that in, the word enjoy is a second place in the scriptures. Second place in the scriptures. It's in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 25. Where it says, says that sin is pleasurable for a season. The word pleasurable is the same word. I'm applauding sin. I'm enjoying sin. But understand, there's a difference before enjoying what God gives to us and what sin offers. Amen to that. And boy, how good it is for us to enjoy the blessings and the, uh, the treasure of the Lord. But now notice, as we go on, verse 18, it says, that they do good. And the word they're good. And so he's, he's giving you an idea. Don't trust in these uncertain riches. Don't, and, and, and he's talking about don't, don't hoard the things that God has given to you. It's all right to enjoy it and everything. But show kindness. The word good there is a different Greek word. It says show kindness. That they be rich in good works. So God wants us to be rich in good works. Ready to distribute. Willing to communicate. And so it's not that you go through life hoarding your stuff, holding on to your stuff, afraid of what's going to happen to your stuff. But he says, go out there and look at how you can be a blessing to other people with your stuff. Ready to distribute. I've said this time and time again. Don't ever resist a generous impulse. 
And I want to say this. You know what? As, and I, I thank the Lord. We're going to talk more about our stewardship and, and things uh, of our building and everything. But you know, this church has been such a blessing through this building project and all. And it has been so wonderful as people are being spirit-led. I'm going to tell you something. That's what this church needs to be. It needs to be spirit-led. It needs not to be... You know, they say there's three kinds of givers. The flint, the sponge, and the honeycomb. The flint, you've got to strike it. The sponge, you've got to squeeze it. The honeycomb, it just drips out of it. Amen. That's the kind of spirit we need. Lord, lead me and guide me. Uh, Brother Jerry Horn and I were having uh, lunch before we went on vacation. Not lunch. We were having coffee. Uh, and Bible study and prayer time. Oh, it's a wonderful time. And if any of you men would like to join us at 2 o'clock on, on um, uh, Taco Bell, you say, why do you do it at Taco Bell? Because seniors get 50-cent coffee there, all right? So we're having a wonderful time. And anyways, God laid on my heart that I need to do something for this wonderful waitress who, when we come in, we've been doing enough now, she knows that she, she almost has it ready for us when we come in. Taco Bell. God laid in my heart. I need to give her a track. That's the least we can do. And then put something in that track. And we got so excited about our prayer time and everything. I kind of got distracted and I started driving out. And as I was driving away, God says, hey, didn't I ask you to do something? Oh, yeah. You mean you want me to drive back? What do you think? God tells you to do something, do it. Be obedient, willing, ready to distribute and to communicate. So many wonderful words. And then in verse 9, it says, laying up in store. And the idea there is the same as found in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Lay up for yourselves treasures. It is, it is two Greek words that are the same. Treasure up your treasures. Treasure up your treasures. Verse 19. Laying up in store for themselves a good foundation. That word foundation is an interesting word. We actually get our English word, or we can get our English word from this Greek word, or part of this Greek word. It is the word for theme. Theme. Now, you ponder that. He's saying, laying up for yourselves a good foundation. This is the theme. This becomes the philosophy of my life. And that is the idea of living for eternity, that they may lay hold on eternal life. In other words, they get it. I'm going to die someday, and I'm going to leave all this stuff behind. I better be obedient with what God has given to me. Laying hold of eternal life is getting the idea, getting hold of this theme. Living for eternity rather than for the now. Got it? Now that being said, we go back to Matthew chapter 19. And we're going to get into the moths, mice, and mud diggers. Did you see that in verse 19? He goes into this. I don't want you to... To, to fail to understand the theme of my life, living for eternity, living in view of eternity, living to be obedient to the Lord, letting God have total ownership of my life. But oftentimes what happens is people get so caught up in this world that they live in this world. And we see that. 
And he says in verse 19 of Matthew chapter 6, now back there, he says, where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. Now, in the Orient and in the custom of the, the Bible times, you'll discover that money wasn't always the commodity of which was a value. He's bringing out three things that have a great value of commodities and how even people would make trades. They would trade in their garments. And throughout the scriptures, we discover the value of garments. In fact, remember when Achan committed the sin against Ai? What did he take? Garments. Remember that? Remember when Gehazi, after the healing of the Assyrian captain, and Elisha says, oh, we don't want anything. Well, Gehazi went after him and says, hey, listen, I'd like something. And, and Gehazi, uh, the, the captain says, well, what do you want? And he says, well, give me some garments. And these would be important in those times. They didn't have Walmart to go to and all. And they got these garments. And so valuable things were in the, in the garments. And yet those garments, understand, moths can eat them, right? Now... Alice McCoy told me what the moths, what they like. They like the wool and they like the silk. And I know this is very great. You couldn't have lived without this information. She told me because they like the sulfur in those garments. Isn't that interesting? So what does that have to do with the message? Nothing. I just thought it was interesting. So she shared that with me (laughs) this morning. Uh, You think of Joseph getting his coat of many colors. You think of Samson. Remember when he gave the riddle to those people about the lion that he'd killed? He says, I'll give you, what, seven changes of clothes. So garments, valuable into them. And then uh, the idea of, of it says, and, uh, and moth doth, excuse me, not moth and rust. The word rust there, when we think of rust, is we think of man, my car sitting out in the parking lot and it's rusting, especially from uh, northern states like Michigan, places like that. But the word rust actually means eater. Eater. Now, rust does eat, doesn't it? It eats the metal and things like that. But what else eats? Mice eat grain. Was grain an important commodity? You ask the Israelites during the time of the famine when Egypt was around. Remember that? Also, remember the foolish man who had had such a great harvest of his crops that he says, I'm going to tear down my barns and I'm going to build bigger barns. But the mice can come in. And then when we get to the mud diggers where thieves break through and steal, guess where in the Orient where they would put their money? They would put it in the ground. And so the thieves would come out and they would dig up to discover, to find out where. Remember the man that was the unprofitable servant? What he did? He went out and he buried his money. So these things... And I think about this, and I hope you will remember this, that in all these things, they're devourers. They devour. In Malachi chapter 3, verse 11, talks about there, and verse 8 through 10 talks about how that God will open you the windows of heaven, and as we honor Him with our substance, He'll keep back the devourers. I'm going to tell you something. There are a lot of folks that have devourers in their lives that's eating away at what belongs to the Lord. I want to encourage you, be obedient to the Lord. You don't want the devourers, the moths, the mice, and the mud diggers. 
Maybe uh, this week you will discover some of those. Hopefully not. But it's a reality that is very much a part of this life. So lay up your stores in treasure. You know, here in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9, 10, there's so many verses that deal with our giving and how that we can honor the Lord with our substance and with the first fruits of thine increase. And again, this is uh, honoring the Lord. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty and thy precious shall burst out with new wine. Proverbs eleven twenty four. There is that scattereth and yet increases. And there is that withholdeth more than is meat or right, but it tendeth to poverty. May God give us wisdom, what we are to hold on to and what you are to give. This is a passage of Scripture. I hope you will have memorized it. Luke 6, 38. Let's quote it together. Give, and it shall be given to you. Good measure, pressed down and shaken together and running over, shall men give unto your bosom. For with the same measure that you meet, with all it shall be measured to you again. Do you believe that? Say amen. Is it true? Two treasures. Here or there. Story of a man <clears throat> comes running in. Martha, Martha, farmer. He says, Betsy, our favorite cow, just had twins. We are so blessed of the Lord. Let's give one to God and we'll keep one. Two months later, comes along. Same man comes in. Martha, I've got some sad news. God's cow died. God took him home. Mm. May God help us. Philosophy, principles. There we go. Oh, to inheritance, incorruptible and undefiled, that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. You know, we have a reservation in heaven because of Jesus Christ. It's reserved there. Praise God. It won't fall away. There's presence, not presence, there's rewards once we get there. Getting into heaven is through Jesus Christ. But then the rewards that he will give to those who faithfully serve him. Mark ten twenty one, man that came. And you know, the Bible talks a lot about how that there, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to get into heaven. Because God wants us to trust in him. How many of you trust in Jesus to get you to heaven? Is it your hands? Amen. Now, don't raise your hand, but how many of you trust in him to get through your life? And we're taking our soul to heaven because of Jesus. What about carrying us through this life? And here's this rich man. And he said, man, I've done all these things and everything. And Jesus loved him. And he understood that there was a problem in his life. And that is that he had more trust in his riches than he was willing to put in God. And he says, and said unto him, one thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give it to the poor, and thou shalt have treasures in heaven and come, take off the cross and follow me. Boy, that doesn't sound like a good proposition. Now, God has not told, told us all to do this, but he told that man to expose the, uh, the idolatry in his own heart of his own riches. To give up your treasures, to take up your cross. You all know what that means. They knew what that means. And follow me. What happened to the man? He went away sorrowfully. Sorrowfully. Luke chapter 12, verse 33 through 34. Sell that you have and give alms. Provide yourselves bags that wax not old. And I, you know, as I read these verses, I want to be very careful because sometimes we can go away and say, man, I better sell everything I have and I better give it to the poor. Everything. That's not what he's saying. 
I think we need to be spirit-led. And I believe that you can do more harm by giving something to somebody that will bring damage in their life or enable them in a wrong direction or a concept. And I'm telling you what, if people don't appreciate the, the blessings that God gives to them and things like that, you know, we can, we can add it to their, their demise and their, their mindset and their welfare mindset and all. Man, I, I'm afraid that we have ruined too many people in this world because of the mindset that's going on today. He's telling this man, he says, go out and give it. You know, give treasures. And they're not going to fail. And there's a truth there. Give and it shall be given to you. Thieves don't approach and moth's not going to corrupt. And where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Yep, is that true? Here again in Luke it says, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Let's turn to, if we can, to uh, uh, Nehemiah 8. Uh, verse 10. And, and just notice here, uh, the book of Nehemiah is a wonderful book on leadership and all. And sometimes we might not remember how the book ends, but the, the book actually ends. Here they'd gone and they'd built the walls and it took them 50 some days to, to build the walls. And after much complications and problems and things like that and the struggles and having to carry a pickaxe and a uh, uh, a, a bow or a, a sword or something like that. God, finally, they finished the walls and, and they finished their building program. Where are they spiritually now? They had sacrificed. They poured out themselves. And, I, and as I, I read this this morning, I, I, we've changed our theme for next year. We'll reveal it at the Vision Banquet. You know, but as I, as I looked at this, I, I started thinking, you know, this is where I want Westside Baptist Church to be when we finish our building project. You'll notice that they had a heart for God and revival took place. Can, a building, can you go through a building project and revival takes place? Notice they turned to the Word of God. Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 1. And all the people gathered themselves together as one man into the streets and was before the water gate, not Nixon's water gate. And they spake unto Ezra, uh, the scribes, to bring the book, uh, the book, excuse me, of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded to Israel. In verse 5 it says, And Ezra opened the book, in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. In other words, he stood higher on a, on a hill there. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen. With lifting up their hands, they bowed their hearts and they worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. They were so glad to be able to come together and to hear the word of God. Amen. We get excited about God's word. That brings revival. We let it work into our soul. And what you'll discover as you read chapter 9, there were four results of this revival. You find there in verse 9, in much of the book of 9, chapter 9, it talks about they confessed their sins. They confessed their sins. Not only their sins, but the priests confessed their sins. The Levites, the religious leaders, the civil leaders were confessing their sins. And then they had this desire to be obedient and to bow down and to worship. 
And then they had the desire to praise God. They had been through 70 years of captivity and the time to rebuild the temple and the walls had taken an extended period of time. And they praised God for where they were and what God was doing. And then they make a covenant. They make a vow to the Lord. And you know what that vow entails? You go to chapter uh, uh, 10, verse 35. You'll, you'll read verse 38 uh, of chapter 9. talks about that vow. And you see in chapter 10 the people that signed that vow and the people that put their name on it, kind of like the Declaration of Independence. And then in verse 35, notice the vows that they make. And to bring the first fruits of our ground. And the first fruits of all the fruits of all trees. Year by year unto the house of the Lord. Also the firstborn of our sons and our cattle. And as it is written in the law and the firstlings of our herds of the flock. To bring the, to the house of God. Unto the priests that minister in the house of our God. That they should bring the first fruits of our dough and our our offerings and the first fruits of all manner of trees and wine and oil unto the priests, to the chambers of the house of our God, and tithe of our grounds unto the, the Levites, that the same Levites might have the tithes in all the cities of the tillage. And the priests and the sons of Aaron shall be with the Levites when the Levites shall t- take tithe, and the tithe, uh, and the Levites shall bring up the tithe of the tithe. I don't know why it is. I remember some pastors that I heard that they, uh, in fact, one pastor comes to my mind right now. He says, you know, I really have a problem tithing. I'm going to tell you something. He's no longer in the ministry. He didn't trust God. The Levites were the tithe of the tithe. Might have the tithe in the cities and the tillage and, the, and there bring up the tithes of the tithes. The house of God to the chambers of the treasures of the house for the children of Israel and the children of, Eli, uh, of Levi shall bring the offering of the corn and the new wine of the oil, the chambers and the vessels of the sanctuary and the priests that minister and the porters and the singers. And we will not forsake the house of our God. They made a commitment. You know, bottom line, we have two treasures. Or we put our treasures someplace. I hope we get it this morning. The heart of the matter, it is a danger not to put the Lord first. In Exodus thirty-five twenty-one, And they came, everyone whose heart stirred him, and everyone whom his spirit made willing... And they brought the Lord's offering to the work of the tabernacle, the congregation, and for all of His service, and for His holy garments. First Chronicles 29.9 Then the people rejoiced for that they offered willingly, because with perfect hearts they offered willingly to the Lord. And David the king also rejoiced with great joy. The heart of the matter. Where are we putting our treasures? Are we living for eternity? And that comes now to the, uh, the next verse there in 22, talking about our vision. Two visions. He's talking about the eye. The eye is the gate to the soul. And what does that man have his eye on? Does he have his eye on eternity or does he have his eye here? When he talks about singleness of vision, it means, again, this this theme, this foundation, this principle, this philosophy of life is I'm living for eternity. And sometimes, folks, we've got to have something in our lives to remind us that this world is not our home. Someone asked 
the lawyer to John Rockefeller when he passed away, how much did he leave behind? You know what the lawyer said? Everything. This world is not our home. We're just a passing through. And I'm telling you, folks, we are so caught up with here. And he says, if you have this vision of eternity, as you walk through life, he says, man, your whole life is going to be filled with life. You're going to understand life so much better. The concepts, the principles, and everything about life. He says, but if you have an evil eye. Ever heard someone say, they have an evil eye? It's an interesting, it is a colloquialism, but yet it was from the Jews. And there in the Bible, it talks about the evil eye. Here it talks about if we seek, if we're risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. He says, eat thou not the bread of him that hath an evil eye, neither desire thou his dainties, dainty meats. Proverbs twenty-eight twenty-two: He that has to, excuse me, he that hasteth to be rich hath an evil eye. I, and consider not that poverty shall come upon him. You know, here in the New Testament, Matthew 6, you know what the word evil comes from? The Greek word? Pornea. We get our word pornograph. And so oftentimes when we think of people being involved in pornography, which is, is, a, is, is, a, is a drug of the mind that enslaves young men, and carries on sometimes into their adult lives. And the old devil wants to enslave people into this. And, and it comes from that word pornea. But when he says here you have an evil eye. He says you have a pornographic eye. He's not talking about looking at Playboy. Or other things which in themselves are so disgusting. And we're living in an evil eyed world, right? But what it is, is the idea of seeking the lust and the pleasures of this life. We have to ask ourselves. Do we have a single eye. Setting our affections on things above. Or do we have a evil eye. That's pretty strong language isn't it. Two visions. Single. To God or here. And then two masters. Two masters. You know it's interesting that he uses the word masters here. He says you cannot serve Two masters. And the word serve there is that word to be a slave. In reality, that's what happens. You are either a bond slave to God or you are a bond slave to the things of this life. That's pretty strong language. God doesn't mince his words. A distorted vision. Who is our master? Who's calling the shots of our lives and the decisions that we make? We need to be single-minded. If therefore you have been unfaithful, or excuse me, you have not been faithful in the unrighteous things of money, who will commit to your trust the true riches? You know, it seems like this is oftentimes what makes or breaks a believer. Is where are their treasures? What's their concept? What's their foundation? What's the theme of their life? Joshua says, nevertheless, my brethren, when we went up, with me made the hearts of the people melt. You know the story of when they went in from Kadesh Barnea into the promised land. He says, but I wholly follow the Lord my God. Can I just, can I just encourage everyone? I wish I, I wish I could just go around sometimes and just shake people. Get it. Get it. Oh, there's so many treasures. 
that we can have by following faithfully, wholeheartedly following the Lord. Yes or no? This is not about Westside Baptist Church. This is about you and your relationship with God. Two treasures. Two visions. Two masters. I have set the Lord always before me because He is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. Amen and amen. You know, if you lack wisdom, if we don't get it, ask God to help you to get it. Because when you understand this theme, once you understand this concept, this philosophy, that God owns everything, it's all His. Yes, He gives me the privilege to enjoy what He allows me to keep, but He wants me to be obedient because He's the master of my life. If you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who giveth to every man liberally, and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. Oh, to have wisdom to live. He says, if you don't get it, guess what? You'll be a double-minded man. Spiritual schizophrenic. And that's why there's a lot of ill people in the church. Because they don't get it. What helps us to get it? Well, it might be going to a loved one's funeral. You know, Ecclesiastes tells us it's better to go to a funeral than to a birthday party. Because there you'll see reality of life. It ends. Kind of doing away with funerals today, aren't we? Have you noticed that that's changing in our culture today too? What helps me to get it? I'm going to tell you something. When you get to drink from the heavenly host of God's blessings upon your life and the windows of heaven open up to you and you just fall in love with the Lord. This week I, I was thinking about the beauty of the Lord. We went to that conference last weekend and it was the creation conference and I, I don't know about you, I, the rest of the folks but I was overwhelmed in the beauty of my God. And you just fall in love with Him and you just appreciate it and you just be thankful and I'm going to tell you something. There's such rich blessings there. Jesus standing before Pilate. Pilate says, what is truth? Remember him saying that? All who love the truth recognize that what I say is true. Father, I pray that you'll help us as we get in and finish now this uh, idea of stewardship of our finances here in this portion of scriptures. And, and, and next week, as we, as we look at worry, Lord, we got to get this down before we can even hope to accomplish any aspect of understanding how to thwart worry in our lives. So, Lord, I pray while heads are bowed and eyes are closed that your spirit would help us to examine our lives, not to make excuses. Boy, excuses has caused so many people and rob so many people of so many blessings. Help us to be honest with ourselves. I'm thankful that we are a work in progress. I'm thankful that, Lord, you're gaining greater ownership of all of our lives. And we're getting this more and more. But it's my prayer, Lord, that lights go on. And that we really begin to understand. And maybe we sense that we've been making the wrong choices of the shelf. God, help us, help us to live a spirit-led life. And I'm going to praise you for what you do. Lord, I thank you. I thank you you didn't give up on me so long ago, but you keep just chipping away at the, the selfishness, 
the self-centeredness of my own life. Lord, yet so much further to go. Father, I'm so thankful that your son didn't treat us the way we treat you. Thank you that he was selfish to the selfless to the place of death on the cross so that we could have everlasting life. Help us, Lord, to be sensitive. Help us to sense what your spirit says to us and to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to sing a new song. Uh, it's uh, one that we used to sing a long time ago, but we haven't sang it in a long time, so we might not know it. But it's, I wonder, have I done my best for Jesus? You ever ask yourself that? Maybe that'll be the question this week. Did I do what God wanted me to do? Was I obedient? One master, Jesus. One vision, eternity. One treasure, heaven. Amen? Let's stand together. If there's decisions to be made, I encourage you to make them. And truly, don't ever leave without knowing for certain where you're going to spend eternity. Because someday you will die and spend eternity somewhere.